The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. In 2012, an American civil engineer named Matt Huang was offered an intriguing opportunity to evaluate the wastewater and reuse systems in the Middle Eastern country of Qatar as they prepared to host the 2022 World Cup. So Matt, his wife, and their three adopted children embarked on what seemed like an exciting new adventure. But on January 15, 2013, tragedy struck. Their middle child, Gloria, had become mysteriously ill. She was rushed to the hospital where CPR was performed, but she passed away. It was reported that her death was caused by starvation and dehydration, and the Qatari police knew exactly who to blame. But this is wrongful conviction. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Today's episode is like a crazy mixture of Locked Up Abroad meets the Twilight Zone meets No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, the Extreme Edition, okay? And you'll understand as we go along what I mean by all those references. We're going to be telling the story of Matt Huang, who is on the air with us right now. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. And like I always say, I'm I'm happy you're here. Well, I'm happy you're here because you're not there. But I'm sorry for what you had to go through to be here on the show today. But with us, we have somebody who everybody who listens to the show will recognize. One of my personal heroes, the founder of the California Innocence Project, Professor Justin Brooks. So, Justin, welcome back. Thank you so much. Now, most of the cases we've covered... They happen right here in the U.S., but Matt, yours happened halfway across the world in the Middle East, in the nation of Qatar, to be exact. But before we get to all of that, let's hear a little bit about your life before all of this tragedy and insanity took place. I grew up in Southern California, in the L.A. area. I'm a Chinese-American. My parents are immigrants, but I'm born and raised in the U.S., I have a bachelor's degree from University of California of Irvine, and I have a master's degree in environmental engineering from Stanford University. 
I met and married my wife, Grace, and we adopted three children from Africa. My older son and my daughter, Gloria, are from Ghana. My younger son is from Uganda. Being Chinese ethnically, you know, everyone asked us, especially at that time, you know, why not adopt from China? At that point, China had the one child policy, and I just didn't feel like we wanted to support what they were doing there because most of their kids were available for adoption because the government forced them to be and not because they didn't have parents that loved them. And we picked an adoption agency, and I'm an only child. At some point in the process, we realized, oh, kind of having siblings might be kind of nice. And there were a bunch of siblings in the orphanage in Ghana that our adoption agency was working with. And so that was one of the reasons we ended up going to Ghana for our first adoption. And so that's when you adopted the two older siblings, one of whom was your daughter, Gloria. Now, at some point after you and your wife adopted your third child, you got what may have, must have sounded like a really exciting opportunity halfway across the world in Qatar. At that point in time, Qatar had been awarded the 2022 FIFA World Cup for soccer. They had tons of people who were there to you know, do construction, to do projects, to get ready for that World Cup. My company that I was working for at the time transferred us there. I was working on a, a project, looking at planning on their wastewater systems and their reuse. And so you and your family were living in the capital city of Doha. Can you give us a bit of your first impression? There's basically one city for all intents and purposes. It's a pretty small country. It's probably a two-hour drive you know, on a freeway in one direction, about an hour drive in the other way. It's a monarchy. Their only neighboring country is Saudi Arabia. It's one of the richest countries in the world because of oil and natural gas. The citizens actually get paid, at least when we were there, it was something like about $2,600 US a month, a person, including children, from the government. And that's actually how the monarchy keeps power, because they share the oil and natural gas revenues with the citizens. It's got about 2 million people in the country, but 85% of the people are foreigners, hmm. which means there are foreign workers that have been brought in. The majority of the people who get brought in to work are in construction and those types of industries. And a lot of these workers are paid 300 bucks a month or less. It's sort of like a country of billionaires. So you have to import a working class. It is a huge amount of extraordinarily wealthy people. And then this massive underclass. There is definitely a social hierarchy. So if you're a Gulf Arab, you're treated much better. And I would argue that there's probably five or six levels of that hierarchy. If you're a white person, you're looked on much more highly. And the fact that we are Asians put us lower down that hierarchy, not as low as, say, being Black. Right, which of course, all three of your children were. And that ethnic disparity later played into the minds of these investigators who were, they were accustomed to seeing human trafficking and to those types of injustices. I saw it just flying in and out of the airport. You would see these large groups of people coming in from India and Africa that were all coming to work on the World Cup games. And it was well reported in the media that there is slave trading going on, that negotiations would happen with like town elders in Africa or India. And then the next thing you know, uh, 200 guys get shipped over to work on construction in the desert, building these buildings. I don't know if I ever talked to you about this, Matt. I had this driver there 
And when he first picked me up, I said, how do you like living here? Because he was from the Philippines and he'd been there like six months. He says, oh, it's great. It's great. Blah, 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 blah. Then he sees you on the news and he knows about your case and he knows why I'm there. And then he says to me, this has been terrible. They took my passport when I got in the country. They told me I was going to make all this money and they're not paying me anything. I'm grateful I get to be a driver because I see these guys dying every day in the desert who are construction workers who are living in the same like dormitory that I'm living in. And I'm just counting the days till they give me my passport back so I can leave the country. I'm rarely at a loss for words, but I, I don't have any words. This is what's going on there. A country that we gave the World Cup to, it's shocking there. You know, there is this veneer of success, but beneath it, there's this sort of repressive operation through the monarchy and the control of, of the government and the justice system. And Matt's story is sort of wrapped up in that. And so while Matt and his family had to navigate almost like a caste system, as well as a language that they just didn't understand, something truly tragic happened to their adopted daughter from Ghana. I'm talking, of course, about Gloria. Gloria came from an environment of extreme, you know, a, a kind of extremity that as Americans, we can't even really comprehend. She developed an eating disorder because she ate when the food drops came. And so there were long periods of time that literally they didn't have food. And Matt and his wife were trying to develop good eating habits because she would go on what they called food strikes and wouldn't eat for a few days. And so this had happened repeatedly. So Gloria had been really struggling with this eating disorder. And who knows what ramifications it was having on her little fragile eight-year-old body. And that brings us up to January 15th, 2013, just about six months into the Huang family stint in Qatar. I found my daughter Gloria in her room, sickly on the floor. And we had been there like six months, so I didn't think I even knew the number for emergency. So I put her in the car, drove her to the hospital, and they worked on her CPR. And then they told me she had died. And, uh, and you know, I was talking to my wife, of course, on, on the phone, but my sons had gone to bed. So we woke them up, told them what happened, drove them back from the hospital. And basically, they gave us like a couple minutes with Gloria, and then police started questioning us. They separated me from my wife and my sons, brought me out to a vehicle in the hospital parking lot. There were like 20 guys surrounding me and started peppering me with questions. In English? In English. Basically, they're starting to accuse me of, you're a bad father. You don't know what's going on with your kid. And so they were going after me for, I don't know, an hour and a half or something. And so at some point, they drive me to a, a police station, ask me a couple questions. At this point, I have no idea where my wife and kids are. And then they drove me to another police station where now there was a couple guys that start interrogating me and trying to make a written statement. And I speak zero Arabic. And these two guys, their English is horrendous. So they're typing this out in Arabic, you know, and asking me questions and how you do a statement without any translation is without me. And so then they print out, asked me to sign it, which I'm like, well, tell me what you wrote. So he sat there and he translated everything for me. And then after that, this other guy came in and he looked at it and asked them to make these like changes to my statement before I signed it. Great. And so after they made these changes, I was like, okay, read this to me. Tell me what's written. And they said, no, you just have to sign it. I was brought into this room where I found my wife and my sons. Now this is six in the morning after they had just made me sign a statement where they made changes and I had no idea what changes they made. So what was their theory? 
I mean, do we actually know what was wrong with Gloria? The hard answer is that we don't know, and we don't know because the autopsy that was done was a complete fabrication. When it was later looked into, you know, organs were still pristine. There wasn't the kind of examination that needed to be done in order to come to a conclusion. What we do know is that the child did not die of starvation, which is what the prosecution was pursuing. She developed an eating disorder, which meant she would go on what they called food strikes and wouldn't eat for a few days. When they find out about that, that then becomes a foundation for a prosecution, even though in reality, the mere fact that a child doesn't eat for a couple of days doesn't cause them to die. And she clearly did not die of starvation. It's just literally scientifically, medically impossible based on the evidence that that's how she died. But Sadly, like many of these cases, it started with an officer making assumptions and just rolling with them. And in Matt's case, the assumption was their daughter is deceased. You see Asian parents, you see black children, and now, oh, they must be slave traders. They're not a couple from the United States who just went through a normal adoption process and a Stanford-trained engineer. They must be slave traders. And they were being prosecuted for starving their daughter to death to harvest her organs. So Matt's engineering degree and work visa, their American passports and adoption papers, none of this seemed to make a difference with the Qatari police. And none of it made them rethink this theory, but rather just going on appearances, you know, with the cultural lens that they looked at it through from the Qatari social hierarchy, they felt that it was plausible somehow that an Asian couple of a loving family with all this history might be harvesting and selling the internal organs of their African children. There was all kinds of racism as well, just within the evidence. As, as I recall, one of the police reports that literally said, why would anyone adopt black children? Challenging the fact that they were adopted. The police report actually said black children were ugly. Mm -hmm. That's awful. My kids are not ugly. Yeah, they're saying out loud the stuff that people shouldn't even be thinking and writing it in a police report that's being introduced into evidence. Wow. And that's just an example of how outrageous this whole thing was. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know, we see it time and again in this country as well, that when a child dies, it's just terrifying to people. And it's so terribly difficult for them to grapple with the idea that this could happen to an innocent child that often, too often, someone is needlessly scapegoated for that death, the death of a child. And this time it was two people, two loving parents, who still don't forget they had two other children, two boys. So the first night they stayed with our friends, and then after that they were thrown into a Qatari orphanage because the country government was concerned that we had trafficked them, even though our kids had U.S. passports and adoption documents, which were used to get them visas. And some of the photos that were put in evidence was just insane that anyone would think they're trafficking. It's like, here's Matt and his family horseback riding. Here they are on a family vacation. When they're saying, you know, Gloria doesn't have access to water. Oh, here's her ensuite bathroom. Here's actual water bottles next to her bed. I mean, it just, none of it could be put together to make any sense except for what the truth was. Just an average American family with adopted kids and an overseas job. Well, poor kids were traumatized. I mean, and re-traumatized, right? First they lose their their sibling, and then they lose their family, and then they're in an orphanage, and then they're right. And, they're, and, and you have to remember they're already orphaned once, right? So it's right, re-trauma, right? So this is re-traumatizing, yeah. And they also don't speak Arabic. So the two boys were once again without parents. Now, though, in a strange land where they didn't even speak the language. I guess if there is a silver line, the only one is that they had each other. So how long did this orphanage situation last? It took about four months to get the kids out of the Qatari orphanage. And then they had a travel ban on them. So my mother-in-law came to Qatar to come take care of them. After about four more months, they were permitted to leave the country. Right, which couldn't have happened soon enough. Meanwhile, you and your wife are stuck in a Qatari jail where I'm going to imagine you felt terribly isolated, not understanding Arabic. Well, because you have people from everywhere. It's kind of broken English and broken Arabic are kind of the language in practice inside the jail. Uh, I ended up being in the jail for about 10 months. I spent a lot of time praying, reading my Bible, just hanging out with guys, because honestly, it felt like a college dormitory, at least in terms of the relationship with the other guys. Two-thirds of the prison are people who feel like everyone you're going to run on the street that were on trial for things that were so absurd. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? There was one guy who was clearly scammed and... They arrested him for theft and convicted him of theft because they said, okay, fine, bring the scammer to court. Well, the scammer wasn't even in the country. During Matt's trial, your brother or brother-in-law? My brother-in-law. Yeah, your brother-in-law was arrested for taking a photograph of the courthouse because that is an illegal act. And they had to sign confessions in order to be released. I think a third of the people in there are actually factually innocent. That's my best estimate. And another quarter are in there because of -of out-of-wedlock sex cases, which... Wow, a quarter of them. Yeah. In general, out-of-wedlock sex is illegal in most of the Gulf Arab countries. 
And typically they would get arrested if they were with a maid in usually a Qatari home. A member of the household could file a case because there was a strange man in their house who had come to visit their maid. So they charge him with trespassing and with out-of-wedlock sex. And they will almost always get a trespassing conviction, even if they cannot demonstrate an out-of-wedlock sex conviction. Don't don't visit there. I mean, I think we've pretty much lost any chance we have of getting sponsored by the Qatari Tourism Board, <laughs> but that's the way it goes. And there's definitely uneven persecution because we know that the Qatari employees were raping their maids. But they would never go after the Qataris for that. Whoa, whoa. So your Qatari counterparts at work, they were regularly raping their maids, but weren't facing any consequences or being prosecuted. But people who were having consensual, out-of-wedlock sex, they're punished. That's the definition of irony. Again, I don't have any words to... to, I mean, it's just, it's too much. So... What were the actual charges, and when were you brought to court? The first three months, we didn't even know why we were in prison. We didn't know what the charges were. They were quote-unquote investigating, but there was nothing that was set up. We would show up for a hearing maybe once a month. Three months in, they gave us first-degree murder with the death penalty was the charge. I've done death penalty cases in the United States, and they are the hardest cases to do with the most amount of pressure. But still, in the back of your head, you know there's going to be appeals, there's going to be time. Most people in the United States actually, on death row, die of old age before they get executed. That is not true in the Middle East, and that is not what Matt was facing in this case. How did you even find out about Matt? So I was contacted by a guy named Eric Voltz, who has worked with a number of people who are locked up overseas. And I got involved in the case along with a team of lawyers. I got to actually fly out to Qatar to participate in proceedings and prepare witnesses for trial. And it was the most surreal legal experience I've had in my career. When you're in a foreign environment, when you don't speak the language, there's a whole nother layer of oppression, confusion, disorienting. I mean, in in Matt's case, I felt disoriented. When you're sitting in the courtroom and the trial is in Arabic, and his wife, by the way, had to be completely covered during trial and weren't allowed to communicate with her. When you call the witness, first the judge would yell at him for a little while, then the prosecutor would yell at him for a little while, and then you got to ask questions. There was no real court reporting. The judge would just yell to a guy in the corner whenever he wanted something written down. I mean, it, it is a whole another level of you see how it goes so wrong. And on top of it, you have this whole political process going on. And it was interesting working on Matt's case because I'd worked on Jason Perical's case in Nicaragua. And the problem with Jason's case was we had no relationships with Nicaragua. So we went to Congress and no one would help us because we have such terrible relations. The problem with Matt's case is we had too many relationships with Qatar. We're shipping troops through there to Afghanistan. We have a military base there. And so getting assistance from the U.S. government was incredibly difficult. They just wanted to kind of monitor the process and see how things went. And so they'd show up in court, but they weren't interceding. So you're managing the legal battle, the political angle. What about media? Is that helpful or hurtful in a place like Qatar? You know, I I work a lot with people in Latin America, and I literally advise them, don't make a big stink out of this case until we see if we can get you out of here. 
without going through the political process or through the media process, because sometimes that media process actually locks in their position because now it's a global news story that these Americans are locked up. And that is what happened in, in this case. It became a global news story. In court, we had the BBC was there, Le Monde was there, the New York Times wrote multiple articles about this case, and it became a political hot potato. So the Qataris probably fell back in a corner and they forged ahead despite the gaping holes in their theory. And it took three long months to get the charges and then continued on from there. Now you had the legal team from the U.S., but you'd have to have some sort of local counsel assisting them, right? I can't even imagine what you spent on attorneys. <laughs> Don't ask me. I mean, I. but the thing you have to remember is I never even spoke to my attorney other than like a minute or two before a court hearing. And none of the inmates, in fact, speak to their attorneys. Uh-huh. And I'm going to choose my words carefully here to avoid a lawsuit. But I had some real concerns about the local representation, the the council that we were working with. Everybody there is under pressure from the government, that the government has a lot of authority to make your life miserable, including if you're a lawyer. And we had some real challenges getting witnesses to come in and testify for fear of repercussions, including expert witnesses. We ended up having an expert witness testify telephonically from outside the country. And yeah, that's a thing I have not come across in the United States, that I have expert witnesses afraid to come and testify in a case that's against the government. But that definitely was going on there. So yeah, let's talk about the trial. It was kind of done piecemeal, it seems like, over the course of about 10 months. They had the alleged autopsy with pristine organs, right? So not an autopsy at all. And then there was this racist police report calling black children ugly. I can't with this shit. It called them ugly and went on to imply that they therefore couldn't be worthy of adoption. Now, this was an official report, which was basically the disgusting motive behind the entire prosecution. And then, as we mentioned before, in defense, there were the actual adoption documents, the family photos, including pictures of her clear access to water, when the theory was that Gloria was trafficked while being starved and dehydrated to death for her organs. I mean, this was the Qatari's case against the Huangs, and their literal lives were on the line. So... What else was presented? And was this a jury trial? There's no juries in this country. So, you know, it's it's a judge. First of all, most of the time the translator was so bad, whatever they said did not make any sense. Usually we got the last sheet of the notes from the court recorder given to us later in the day. The woman never had any of that. And in the jail, there are enough inmates that speak both Arabic and English to help at least look at it and say, oh, that's what happened. You know, I have read some of the proceedings and I've seen the case notes. And it seems like with the limited translation that I had, that when they brought someone in for evidence, there would be some detective and they said, we heard some other person say this, but there's no opportunity to cross-examine. They won't even say who this person that they talked to is. So that's not evidence. And so after being there for about 10 months... And the prosecution rests their case. We were able to present our case. We brought some of our friends up as witnesses. As we established in court, 
and established through experts is it was factually impossible for her to have starved to death because there were witnesses that saw her running around the days before she passed away. And when someone starves to death, they slowly slow down and then stop moving. And then they stay alive for a long period of time and then they pass away. So it was not only a ridiculous theory on its face, it was a ridiculous theory based on the facts of the case and what had actually happened. One of the other crazy things in this case was kind of halfway through trial, I believe the judge started looking at this stuff and went like, whoa, this this guy didn't do anything. This this couple did nothing. So they released them on their own recognizance in the middle of a death penalty trial. I believe they did that because I think everybody would have been happy if Matt and his wife had just fled the country and, and then the whole political problem goes away. But then you didn't flee the country. So were you ever actually convicted? Oh, we did not get our conviction until after we were already out on our recognizance. As I recall, there were about eight cases up for results that day. They went through all the other ones and the judge explained the verdict. And in your case, they just said three years and that was it. And there was no real ruling or explanation because, you know, how did a death penalty case become a three-year case? And what what's the foundation for that conviction? But they didn't say three years in English. So did you realize what had happened at the time that it happened? They were just going off and reading all these things in Arabic. And I had no clue what was going on. At some point, they excused everyone and our team pulled us out. And I said, okay, so what did they, what what happened? What did they say? Like in the hallway or something? Well, they told us in the hallway. They told you you were sentenced to three years. I think the first thing they said is, we're not quite sure what happened. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's comforting. <laughs> you're like maybe death maybe life maybe three years maybe nothing maybe you're free yeah i mean and, and i said well what did they convict us of the convict us of manslaughter they're like oh we don't know <laughs> i'm so glad you can laugh about this now matt they just gave you three years without explaining what it was yeah yes. oh i was not in good shape at that point and i mean i remember being just so frustrated and so angry and just feeling completely hopeless you know because it's like okay what happens next are they spying on us? Are they going to arrest me any minute? You know, in many ways, I was suicidal. And I, I remember like saying, OK, I'm just going to go jump in the Gulf and try to swim away. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave it Adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. They convicted us with a sentence of three years, but they did not even tell us what we were convicted of. And... In Qatar, there is double jeopardy, so we appealed our conviction, and the prosecution appealed their conviction. So you end up with this three-year sentence, but what does that look like? Did you end up having to serve the three years? What was what happens nope. after that? Did they take you away in handcuffs? So basically, the attorney filed some paperwork requesting that we would not be re-incarcerated at that point. So we went to appeals court, or the equivalent of appeals court, and the prosecution, again, requested the death penalty. And we went through the whole thing again. At that point, as I recall, the U.S. government did get more involved. The Department of State issued a statement saying that they were extremely disappointed in the Qatari judicial system and this result. And I remember the Secretary of State getting involved. And so you go back for the appeals. And and what happens in the second trial? So at the end, we were acquitted. The prosecution having the option to appeal again to the Supreme Court. What do you attribute the acquittal to? Because presumably they were presenting the same nonsense that they were presenting before. What do you think happened to change it? They were innocent. And there was yeah, no but evidence. Justin, a lot of people are innocent. It doesn't... But, but, you know. Well, exactly. A lot of people are innocent. I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier, is what we do see in cases is sometimes a police officer jumps the gun. And in the United States, as you and I both know very well, Sometimes that does lead in a wrongful conviction. But a lot of times what happens in the United States is one idiot cop does something stupid, but it goes to court and gets dismissed. There's lawyers that come in, everything's checked out. There's prosecutors that actually do dismiss cases in this country. And I think a lot of times overseas, and particularly what I believe happened in Matt's case, is once they went down the pike on this case, it just keeps going. And I think that the politics get involved in it. And you're like, whoa, you arrested American couple and charged them with murder? Like, what's going on here? And now it becomes sort of a cover-up for all the bad stuff that's happened. Because I believe the judge believed they were innocent by releasing them on their own recognizance. And then the judge doesn't convict them of murder and sentence them to death. Instead, sentence them to three years. I'm talking about, again, another little cover-up of like, we got to convict them of something because we've gone through this whole charade. And now at some point, that charade got broken through via, I believe, a political process involving the United States, the Court of Appeal. But at some point, the brakes got put on and they said, "Okay, let's just end this thing. So finally, you're acquitted. Now, how much time has elapsed since this terrible incident where your your daughter passed away? 23 months. 23 months. And now you're acquitted, but they can still try you again. So did you leave the courtroom and go directly to the airport? That's what I would have done. Maybe we had a meal or something, but you know, I mean, yeah. And we scan our passports and they would not let us go through. Huh. I should mention that we had the U.S. ambassador walking us through 
security. Well, that's the point where the U.S. government got involved to get them out of the country. And they came home. There's actually a beautiful video. I don't know if Matt knows this. That's online of your reunion with your kids. (laughs) (laughs) They'd been apart from their kids for all that time. Really, really super tragic. One thing that came full circle, though, this was 10 years ago. Matt's son actually interned at the California Innocence Project this past summer as a college student. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, but just amazing kids, the sweetest kids. That, to me, was the most heartbreaking part of the case. Well, Matt, you must be very proud of And I'm sure this experience, it must have acted as a catalyst for the interest in reforming our criminal legal system, as we have so many of our own problems in the U.S., Now, at this point, is there anything that you'd like to ask of our audience or any hopes you have for positive change in the world? I wish there were a way to expand this innocent movement to certain other places in the world, because there is so much going on in other places. I am very grateful for all the folks in the U.S. that do this, but it's needed not just here, but everywhere else, too. I certainly second that, my friend. That's what that's really where I've shifted my work is to Latin America. We now have 30 innocence organizations down there that I helped get started. And yeah, we're in the 1980s in Latin America. There hasn't been DNA testing. There's no no preservation of evidence. There's much worse trained lawyers, trained judges. It has become a global movement, but it's still very Anglo. We've got projects in the UK, we've got a handful in Europe. We've got a couple in Asia, we're in New Zealand, Australia, US, Canada. So it's still a very Anglo movement by and large. And so we have a lot of work to do. This should be truly a global, multi-language, multicultural movement because there's no such thing as a perfect criminal legal system. They all need help. Amen to that. And you've written a book about your work and the very real danger that we all face. It's called, You Might Go to Prison Even Though You're Innocent. I highly recommend it, and we're going to have it linked in the bio. And now that brings us to closing arguments, where I first thank you both for sharing this very moving story. And then I'm just going to turn off my microphone, kick back in my chair with my headphones on, and close my eyes and just listen to anything else that you feel is left to be said. So let's start with Justin and close it out with you, Matt. As you know, Jason, I've been lucky to be part of 40 exonerations, and, and this case has really stuck with me. It's stuck with me so much that I, I've got a, a section of the book about this case. I think it is very powerful when you've spent your career working in one system to go into another system, and it really burns indelibly in my mind that experience and that however many failings there are in our criminal legal system, and I know there are many, there still are worse systems in the world. And unfortunately, Matt and his wife and his family stumbled into one when they just did what a lot of people would do in life, get an opportunity to work overseas, have a great job, take your family, and it turned into this nightmare. So I think there's a lot to learn from this case. And I'm so glad that, that Matt, you had the courage today to, to talk about it. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me on the show. You know, it's been a while since I've had a chance to share. And it's just nice to be able to kind of reflect on the good things and the bad things. And, you know, at this point, we're doing well. Life has not been perfect. But one thing I've struggled with through this is some mental health struggles. I want to encourage people who have been in our shoes going through hard times, get help, reach out. You know, our church 
uh, both in Qatar and in LA. And afterwards have just been so wonderful. When we were in prison, I saw the way that they came around us to support us financially, taking care of physical needs. And, and we were just totally blessed by that. And I just wanted to say thank you to all those who have helped. And I would say I still have a desire to travel, but maybe not back to Qatar, you know, because I do recognize that there is a lot to be learned from the world around us and how different people are and how different people live. Because there are so many things that people do differently that can help encourage and improve our own lives. Unfortunately, I think we also see through our case the bad sides of that too. At the end, I'm just grateful to God and to those who have supported us that we were able to get through this and, and continue on. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. You can listen to this and all the Lava for Good podcasts one week early by subscribing to Lava for Good Plus on Apple Podcasts. I want to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Annie Chelsea, and Kathleen Fink, as well as my fellow executive producers, Jeff Kempler, Kevin Wardis, and Jeff Clyburn. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us across all social media platforms at Lava for Good and at Wrongful Conviction. You can also follow me on Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.